Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, according to what we just read and, and the testimony of Lucifer, he was beneath the clouds at the time that um, when God is describing this, this swelling with pride, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to take the throne of God. Um, he's beneath the clouds on earth. Now, if we put this all in, in, in perspective with, with how we're going to get to where we're going, if we ever get there. Um, all the sons of God were present and shouting for joy with God at the creation. Right? According to Job. The sons of God were there. Those are angels. And they were shouting for joy. They were cheering. They were, they were all with God at the time of creation. Now, look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's a complete statement, right? All right, this is what it indicates. Now, again, this is from my perspective. If you have a different perspective, praise the Lord. You can have it all you want. Um, it looks like a finished earth and heaven. That means that at this time, Genesis 1.1, Lucifer and the other sons of God are shouting for joy. All right, now, why would I say that? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, verse 2, and the earth was without form. You know what that means? It no, it's, it's, it's destroyed. It has no shape. What does a car look like that's been hit by a bomb? It's without form. <laughs> it's not doing well. But let's continue. And void. That means it's empty. Right? Void is, when we talk about something void, we talk about it being vain. It's empty. There's nothing to it. Right? All right. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, it's something very interesting. The standard teaching, which is fine. Is that Genesis chapter one is is God is a description of God creating the earth, correct? They they, they would not suggest that Genesis one one is a completed heaven and earth. They would say that's just a statement that that God is going to complete the heaven and the earth. And that Genesis chapter one, the rest of it, the remainder of it, is a description of that, right? All right, if that's our thinking, has anything been created yet? According to that perspective, Genesis 1.1, God, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, which is a past tense statement, by the way, right? meaning that God had already done it. Right? Now, verse 2, the earth is without form, void, dark. Right? Now, according to the standard teaching, not what I'm suggesting, but the standard teaching, 
they would say that the, the verse 2 to the rest of the chapter is God, re, is God creating the earth, correct? Is that, is that fair? I'm not, I'm not trying to trick you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to help you walk through this logically and see the implications. Okay? I have a question. If verse 2 is, is, is the start of God creating, you know, God said in the beginning he created the heaven and the earth, and all of a sudden we have this mess that God's going to create. <laughs> all right? Verse 2, we have a problem. Where did the darkness come from? Where did the water come from? If nothing has been created yet, where did that come from? Let's continue. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the... So when was the first day of creation? Verses 3 and 4. So what is... What, is it, what are verses 1 and 2? All right, so this is, this is my perspective, okay? Genesis 1.1 is a finished, complete heaven and earth. When God did that, the, the sons of God shouted for joy. Sometime between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2... Angels fell into sin. And what you have in Genesis 1 2 is judgment. You don't have a complete, you don't have God creating the earth, you have God restoring order to an earth that has been judged. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not asking you to agree with it, I'm just asking, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you? Because you're all looking at me like. <laughs> uh, now, why is this important? These angels fell. Um, this, this would, this theory, we'll, we'll say, just to protect everybody's hearts and minds, this theory would fall in line with Lucifer on earth. If he didn't fall then, when did he fall? Yes, sir? <laughs> okay, quickly. So if the angels fall in sin, is that fact sealed or they have? As far as we know, no redemption, as far as we know, no redemption was offered to Lucifer or the angels. No, no way of redemption was offered to them. So I don't have an answer. I don't, that's the only answer I have to that is that as far as we know, there was no redemption offered them. Now, let me show you a couple of... Everybody look at Genesis 1.1. What's the first three words? All right, let me show you a few quick cross-references. Turn to John chapter... Is it John 8? This is not in my notes. This is all sidetrack. Um, John 8... Um, Verse 44. Ye of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from... Well, where, what would be the cross-reference to that? Where else would you put it? So, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, now you have... Sorry, that's John... John eight forty four, the devil in the beginning. Now look at First John. Uh, let me find it. It's First John, I think it's chapter three. First John chapter three. I'll have to find the verse. Um, the devil sinneth from the beginning. Anybody know where that verse is? 
Verse 8. Yeah, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. So now you have 1 John 3, 8. Okay, so again, you can put this beginning when the devil started this stuff wherever you want. It's, it's between you and the Lord. I'm, I'm excited for you. But what, if you're going to be as objective as you can, you're going to run cross-references. What would be the cross-reference to the word beginning? What, what could be another possible cross-reference? There's not any. So that puts the sin of Satan between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And the reason you find in Genesis 1-2 the earth without form, void, dark, flooded is because of the judgment of God. I'll show you one more passage if I can find it. Um, Let me see if I can remember where it is. I always forget it. Jeremiah. Let me see. Jeremiah chapter 4. Now, you should know this by now. What's the context of Jeremiah of the book of Jeremiah? You should be able to explain it pretty well. That's exactly correct. All right, so Jeremiah is sent to preach that judgment is being brought upon Judah, correct? That is the context. All right, now, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. Now, Jeremiah is not talking about Genesis 1-2. But Jeremiah is looking at the earth after it has been judged by God. And it looks like the earth looked in Genesis 1-2. That's because Genesis 1-2 is judgment. Exactly what Jeremiah saw after God judged them and brought judgment upon the earth. That's what God describes in Genesis 1 2. Yes, sir. So when it says in the beginning created the heaven and the earth, is that the space and uh, so what that what I take that to mean is that the heaven and the earth, some some uh, derivative of what we have now was fully complete. Just like it is now. On the earth Lucifer had a throne, and the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, they, 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 the kingdom of heaven at that time was made up of angels, seraphim, cherubim, with Lucifer sitting on the throne, reigning over the earth. All right? Lucifer got excited and said, I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm going to take God's throne. Well, it didn't work out well. <laughs> and this is the result. Uh, the heaven and the earth, I take that to be the universe, everything. All right? Now, all right, turn back to Genesis 1 real fast. We're not going to get too far tonight, so we might as well just have fun with it and send everybody home with nightmares. <laughs> I want to show you something else very interesting. So I asked you, where did this come from? Where did that water come from? If The first day of creation doesn't start until verses 3 and 4. Right? So, what is all this before creation? Well, yeah, that's, that's my perspective. Well, that, I believe that is so. But people who believe, who don't believe in what is called the gap theory, and, and I'm not mocking them because a lot of great men don't believe it. I, I, it's, again, I'm going to present to you what I believe. It's up to you to do your homework and figure out what you believe. I'm not telling you, I'm not forcing you, I'm not pushing you to believe this. But I'm going to give you some stuff to think about. And so if you believe contrary, you need to go home and do your homework and make sure you can prove otherwise. Right? Okay. And that's, 
I'm all for you if you do that. It's okay. You know, some of these things that I'm teaching, these are not points of fellowship. We shouldn't be fighting over them or breaking up churches over them. It's interesting. We should talk about it. We should hammer it out. We should discuss it. You need to study it. Make me go study it again. That's iron sharpeneth iron. It doesn't break iron and then stop fellowship. <laughs> right? Okay. So I, I want to make very clear. Anything that I am teaching right now, it is not out of disrespect to Brother Keith Stences. I hold him in very high regard. He knows what I believe about these things, and he's allowing me to come here and teach it. Right? You are free to go discuss it with him, and you should, and get his perspective. And someone else who's taught you contrary to what I'm going to teach you, go talk to them. Find out why they... Don't go to them to get reassurance for what you think is right. Go to them to get information so you can go home and do your own homework and verify and make sure that what you think you believe is correct. Kali? All right. Now, this is interesting. This water, where did it come from? If you can't account for where that water came from, you've got a big problem. You've got an incoherent Bible that, that doesn't make sense. Because now it's really going to mess you up. Look at, verse, look at verse 7. And God made the firmament. What's the firmament? It's the first heaven. It's where the clouds are. According to Genesis 1, it's where the birds fly. All right? He put the birds in the firmament of heaven later in the chapter. Okay? So that's, that's what we're talking about. God is now making the firmament. Correct? Yes. He's going to open his mouth and say, let it be. But he's got to do something first. Look at verse 7. And God made the firmament and divided. <laughs> what waters? Where did they come from? Let's go, 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 back to verse, go back to verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Uh, what waters? Anybody know where that water came from? All right, let's, let's, let's keep going. And God, let there, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let, let it divide the waters from the waters. So this is what God's doing. You, you have earth, Right? And God wants to put a firmament on earth, the sky, right? In order to do that, he has to move the water to put the firmament there. There was so much water, it was in the sky, and God has to move it above the firmament and below the firmament to make a firmament. Because there was a flood... Here. <laughs> In Noah's day, God flooded the earth. It stopped at the highest mountain. Right? That's not what you have here. Here you have water that has so consumed the earth, God has to move the water to make a firmament. So let's, let's keep reading. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. In Genesis 6, when God flooded the earth, where did the water come from? Came from outside the firmament. God opened it up and let it come in. It, came, it broke up from the deep, and it came from outside the firmament. It had never rained. There was a mist on the earth. God wanted to flood the earth. Looks like that's how he did it. Now, this is what people say. Well, if you read Genesis 1, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say that there's a gap. Well, you read it critically, you've got some serious problems that you need to explain. If there wasn't a gap... And that's okay. Uh, many of you met, if you, were, if you met Lee Cadenhead, raise your hand. I'm going to use him as an example. You met him, you met him. He came here, he visited with his son um, a couple months ago. Actually, no, it's been like a year. Wow, almost a year ago. Uh, anyways, he's one of my best friends, he's a missionary in Zimbabwe. He is a great brother, an unbelievable Bible teacher. 
He says it breaks his heart that he doesn't believe in the gap. <laughs> so I tell him, you could repent and get right with God and everything would be okay. <laughs> um, he's my best, one of my best friends. And he doesn't believe it. That's okay. But he's got some serious problems that I hit him with every time we talk about it that he can't explain. Because you need to tell me where the water came from. You need to tell me where the darkness came from. Nothing has been created yet according to that theory. Everything is going to be created in the following verses after Genesis 1.1. So if that's the case, we've got some inconsistencies there that are difficult to contend with. Now, if Brother Lee was here, he's very good at explaining himself. He would explain his perspective, and I have no doubt he would do it very well. But I'm here, so I get to, I get to tell you what I think he believes. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to be fair, and I want to be respectful. I don't want people get into fights over this. They break up churches over this, and that should not be the case. And so I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to adopt this. I'm telling you to figure out what you believe. And if you want to challenge it, then you come tell me about it, and we'll talk about it. Because it should be challenged. You need to be able to defend what you say you believe and show it clearly and be able to demonstrate it to people. Now, if you demonstrate it to people and they don't believe it, that's no. We are going to be worshiping Jesus Christ together at the foot of his throne. You think we're going to stop in the middle of worship and say, he believed the gap theory. (laughs) Who cares? It's not worth fighting over. It's one of the reasons I respect Brother Keith so much. He can handle these things. A lot of brethren cannot. In fact, when this audio goes out, a lot of people are going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And they shouldn't. They should say, oh, that's interesting. I disagree and move on. But they can't do that. Now, what did this have to do with what we were talking about? I don't remember. (laughs) Angels, fallen angels. So, did someone say excuse me? All right, so Lucifer and the sons of God, according to my perspective, would have fallen here. When when the man and the woman are put in the garden and they're there uh, fellowshipping with God and, and, uh, and, you know, enjoying what he gave them, where did the serpent come from? He was already there. He was already around. And he led these angels into sin. What did he do to the man and the woman as soon as he came into contact with them? Yea, hath God said. You know, what, you, know what he, you know what Lucifer said to her? He said, you can be as gods. What did he mean by that? No. No, he's referring to something. He's pointing to something that they would understand that they could become. So he's directing them to something and saying, you can be like this. You just need to eat that fruit. Well, he was right. They fell into sin. He said, eat that fruit and you'll be just like us. And she didn't say, what's a God? She said, well, it does look good. And I can be as gods? Hmm. All right, so the angels would have fallen at that time. The description of his desired ascension demonstrates that he was on earth. Again, according to my perspective. Um, Now, we can connect between Satan. Now we want to try and connect between Satan's rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Noah's flood. And then point all that to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because every time, every time, every time the sons of God show up in the Bible and begin intermingling with man in some way, God shows up and destroys it. So what's going to happen to these ten kings? Who's coming back to put them down? Christ himself at his second coming. So, so all these events, the three that we're, we're specifically the three that we're talking about, point to the second coming in some way and some other things. Turn to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, verse 1. 
Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. All right, so you understand what's happening here. Men are beginning to multiply, which means they're having babies. And among those babies are daughters, right? So what's about to happen is not other men suddenly seeing the daughters of men. They've been having babies. So how, did, how would, if a son of God is a, is a man who believes, how did he get here without seeing his mother? Mother. If he's just now seeing the daughters of men, how did he get here without seeing his mother? Do you understand what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so the, the teaching is that saved men began to see the daughters of men, which is a strange thing. And then they began to have children or they began to take, them, take those women as their wives. Right? Okay. How did those saved men get to Genesis 6 without seeing their mother, who was a daughter of men. So saved men didn't start suddenly to, st- to, to begin seeing the daughters of men. They've been seeing them. That's not a... I mean, why would that be in the Bible? You've got to say, well, men suddenly realized they had sisters <laughs> and mothers. That makes no sense. So, so there's a distinction here that the, that the Lord's trying to make between... The sons of God and the daughters of men. Why would, it, why would it call them the daughters of men if there's not a clear distinction here between what's being, what's being represented? All right. So, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters, daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he, he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bear children uh, to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Do you see what the sons of God are doing with the daughters of men? I don't need to explain that. The offspring are described as giants and men of renown. This is key to Daniel. They, they, these kings. They, I believe, are the sons of God mingling with the clay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again, I'm not asking you to agree with it. I'm saying, do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Benjamin? (laughs) Look at verse 11. Verses 11 through 13. Um, The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth was filled with violence through them. Who's them? So as this offspring spreads... They become violent. They become corrupt. And God shows up and says, I'm bringing an end to it. And he could find eight people who were either willing to trust him or who had not defiled themselves in this way. Eight people. So the next time somebody comes and tells you there are a billion Christians on the earth, not likely. (laughs) There might be a billion people who call themselves Christians. But it's not likely there are a billion Christians. Um, look, at, look at verses 9 through 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
the earth was the, the earth also was corrupt and got um, before God and the earth was filled with violence. So you have this description. You have the sons of God. You have the giants, the men of renown. You have all them together. In the middle, you have Noah and his sons who were just, who walked with God, who found grace in the eyes of God, who, who, who had a relationship with God and did not corrupt themselves in this way. On the other side of that, you have corruption, violence. That's how God characterizes it. And right in the middle of all that, you have Noah and his sons. And that's it. Now, the verse is not saying that Noah was perfect or over a long period of time. Obviously, Noah was a sinner like anyone else. Um, The Lord is comparing Noah's generations, his sons, to the corruption of the flesh of the earth. So that's... That's the, that's the context of the conversation. All flesh is corrupt. But I have Noah and his sons who have not defiled their flesh in that way. Do you, just from what we read, do you see that? If you go back through and you read it, it's going to talk about the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. But then I have Noah and his sons who are just. And they have found grace in the eyes of God. And they walk with God. And they, and they, they, they serve God to the best of their ability. Now, we know as soon as the flood is over, Noah and his sons mess that up. <laughs> so they have a sinful nature. They're not, they're not sinless. And this is the other thing. I mean, it just popped in my mind. We'll just throw it out there just for the fun of it. If Genesis 6, 1 and 2, are be- the sons of God are believers, why is Noah the only one who found grace in the eyes of God? How could these be? Why wouldn't he just say Noah and his sons? <laughs> All right, so so there's, there, there are a lot of problems with the idea. But you're, you're welcome to hold on to it. It's fine. It, it's no problem. It's just you need to think it through. The Lord is comparing Noah's generations and his sons to the corruption of the flesh on the earth. That is, all flesh is corrupt except Noah and his generations. Now, corrupt in terms of mingling with this in, in this inordinate way with the sons of God and, and becoming so defiled through violence and, and corruption that, that God has to destroy the entire earth. All he could find was Noah and his sons. I mean, that, that, is, that is striking and should terrify you and make you want to get to work preaching the gospel and doing all we can to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. God plans to destroy all flesh. He's not destroying the earth, though that's a byproduct of this. He's going to destroy all flesh. Something has happened to flesh. That, that's, there's, a, there's a hyper-concentration in the chapter on flesh. It has become mingled in a way that it should not. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Look at Genesis 14, verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of uh, Elisar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. Man, I wish the Bible didn't break up those names like that. They're already hard enough to read. And then when it separates them and puts the hash marks on them, it's like dividing it up. I sound like I sound illiterate. All right, verse 2. That these made war with, see, there it goes again, Bera, king of Sodom. I mean, it's, it's four letters. And in my Bible, it takes up like this much space because they have it all broken out, you know, and put hash marks on it. Anyways, uh, I am thankful for my Bible. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I just wish they hadn't have done that, but they didn't consult me. All right. Uh, Bera is king of what? Sodom. Sodom. All right. Now, we, we, we're talking about these three judgments, right? And we just went over the first one, which was Noah. 
Now we want to see if we can find a connection in Sodom. Noah's day, we got giants in the earth, correct? What about in Sodom? All right, let's go back. Where did we leave off? Verse 2. Verse 2, we didn't make it far. All right. Uh, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, uh, Shinab, king of uh, Adma, and Shimabar, that's a good name, king of Zeboim. You like that? We call you Shimabab. <laughs> and, uh, and then king, king of, or, and the king of uh, Bela, which is Zoar. Verse 3. All these were joined together in the vale of Shittim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims. That's an important term. Anybody know what Rephaim means? It means giant. That's the literal definition of the word. It's Secondary meaning, can you guess what a secondary meaning is? So th- these are two meanings. Number one is giant. Number two, fallen ones. Fallen. Not fallen. Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> the fallen ones. That's very interesting. So, Rephaims in Ashtaroth. Now, Ashtaroth, we've talked about that before. That There's a connection there with Shinar and Babylon and Assyria and false gods. Uh, that's, that's all very important. Carnaim um, and Zuzims in Ham and the Emims in Sheva. Kiriathim, uh, Theim, and the Horites in their mount, Seir, unto Ephraim, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat. I want to see how you translated that in the Luganda Bible. <laughs> which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in. Hazezon Tamar. Amen. And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. The Bible's trying to help you understand something there. Bela is Zoar. <laughs> and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. And Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with title king of nations, and Ameriphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings with five, and, 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 and so on. So they had the battle. Now, here they are, they're going out for battle, and in the midst of the battle, they smote the Rephaims, the giants, and also the fallen ones, the fallen ones. Turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. Verse 18. In the same day, the Lord, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto, unto thy seed uh, have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the, the Kenizzites and the Kadamanites. Um... Verse 20, and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. All right. So there you have them again. The Rephaim showing up again. Look at Numbers 13. Numbers 13. And verse 33. So you, most of you know the context of this or what's happening. 
Um, they're sending out men to spy out the land. And what do they see when they get there? Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, you laugh at that. You laugh at that. But think about this. I am six feet tall. What if a grasshopper was at my feet? That's what these men are saying. We encountered men before whom we look like grasshoppers. All right, now I'm six feet tall. If you added another six feet to me, I would be 12 feet tall. Who knows what that is in meters so that all you metric people can understand? Four meters. Yeah, that's right. Four meters. So that means that if we take this literally, these men were four meters tall. They were double the height of the average six-foot man. These are giants. These are huge men. These are freaks of nature. We look today at a basketball player who's six-foot-eight, and we say, wow. (laughs) These men would still be almost double their height. The average football player, so then the average football player is about two meters tall. Or, or the average man is about two meters tall. These, these men are four meters tall. That's, that's a big man. All right. Later, when the children of Israel spy out the land, the report, when the spies come back, the land floweth milk and honey, but the giants in the land are big. The report they brought back was that we were as grasshoppers. If a grasshopper stood at my feet, I would be about six feet taller than a grasshopper. Therefore, these giants were, were about six feet taller, again, than the average man. All right? that's, that's just generally speaking. Now, they said these giants were the son of who? Anak. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to, <laughs> how, tall, how tall of a wall could a 14-foot man build? <laughs> they said it was walled up to heaven. And moreover, and moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Those are the sons of Anak. Uh, look at Joshua 15. Gross probably has all this memorized. He just translated it. Joshua 15, verse 13. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. We, I, it's hard for me to read that because we have a brother that came to preach at our church. And he, in America, he's from, he's from Virginia. And they have strong southern accents. So he came and preached at our church and he would say... The son of Jephunneh. <laughs> and so we couldn't listen to the sermon because that's all we could hear was Jephunneh. Anyways, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. Look at chapter 21, verse 11. You, you don't realize in your Bible how often these giants show up until you start looking at it. And then you see, were they there the whole time that, <laughs> that I was reading my Bible? Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 11. And they gave them the city of Arba, the, uh, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, with the suburbs thereof round about. So they're showing up. As they're coming into the promised land, these giants are showing up everywhere. Uh, Go back to Deuteronomy 2. I would like to try and finish this tonight if possible. Deuteronomy 2, verses 18 through 21. Thou art to pass over through, uh, through Ar, the coast of Moab, this day... 
And when, when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. That, that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time, and the Ammonites called them yeah, yeah, Zamzumims. All right, so these, these, these giants are showing up all over the place. Um, look at chapter 3. Let's read verses 10 through 11. This is very interesting. Verse 10. All the cities of the plain and all Gilead and all Bashan. Who knows where the term Bashan shows up again? Anybody remember? When Jesus is on the cross, what is surrounding him? The bulls of Bashan. Now, only the Lord could see them. So this is definitely not a, um, not a physical presence. But the prophecy is that he was surrounded by the bulls of Bashan while he's on the cross. You're all looking at me like you've never heard that before. It's in your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it says the bulls of Bashan encompassed me about. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you later. Let's, let's keep moving. All right. Chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10. Let's go back. Um, and all the cities of the plain and all Gilead and all Bashan and uh, Sica and Adria, cities of the kingdom of Og... In Bashan, for only Og, king of Bashan, re- remained of the remnant of the giants. Now listen to this. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. That's interesting. Now, I mean, it, again, it's it's not proof enough to say it's anything definitive. It's just he made his bed of iron, and he's a giant. Just, just really interesting. It is, is it not in Rabbah of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. That means his bed, his bed is about 14 feet long. Now, my bed, I'm six feet long. My mattress is about six feet long. It's a little bit longer, just long enough for me to lay in it. So assuming... He did the same thing. Maybe this man is somewhere just under 14 feet tall. That's like four and a half meters. <laughs> now, now, we're reading this in the Bible, right? Raise your hand if you believe the Bible. All right? Now, I'm not telling you to believe my theory, but you've got to believe this verse if you believe the Bible. This 13-foot, 5-inch man is laying in a 14-foot bed and sleeping at night. <laughs> That's what it says. And it says it unapologetically. I mean, there's no... The Bible's like, well, we think maybe... No, he, was, he had a 9... He had, his bed was 9 cubits according to the cubit of a man. That's a big bed. <laughs> the bulls of Bashan were present at the cross of Jesus Christ, and only God could see them. This man's bed was about 13.5 feet long and about 6 feet wide. I'm 6 feet tall. His bed was as wide as I am tall. Not so he could spread his arms out. I mean, he's, he's cuddling on his side. and <laughs> This is a big man. And this is what's so interesting. It says he's of the remnant of the giants. Which means, which indicates, and there are other verses that give this indication that as time progressed, they got smaller. And so if he's a remnant of the giant, it means he's not one of the original giants. So who knows how big they were? All right, Joshua 12. Joshua 12. Uh, my, when my pastor taught this, he joked that he should preach this at the next pastor's meeting that he goes to. 
Uh, that would go well. All right, jo- Joshua 12, verse 4. And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants that dwelt in Ashtaroth and at Edrei. So this entire region, uh, Sodom, every time you see Ashtaroth and you see these other uh, nations that are being named, it's pointing you back to Sodom and Gomorrah and the Rephaims that they fought in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, so that's the point. That's the reason we're going through all this. Um, Ashtaroth, (laughs) we'll we'll move on. There are are numerous uh, more references to the children of Israel dealing with these giants. Uh, We don't have time to cover them all. I mean, there there are literally, there are tons of them. I mean, and they all point back to the same people in the same place, same location. All right, so we're just trying to make the connection here to Sodom and Gomorrah and giants. All right. So, when we have the sons of God present in some form at Satan's rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah's flood, and according to Daniel 2, the second coming of Christ. So, that it, it kind of it, it, it links it Together, a giant shows up again in David's day. Uh, he had to slay a giant in order to keep Israel free from, the Phil- from Philistine captivity. Now, that giant, Goliath, from the numbers it gives, he was about nine feet tall. He was a baby giant. So, so as, you, as you get further away, as you, as you get further away from the original giants, there, there seems to be they're just a remnant of the giants. And they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But I can guarantee you, you don't want to fight a nine-foot man. You don't want to fight a six-foot-five man. I mean, a big, hefty six-foot-five man, that's a lot to deal with. A nine-foot man, a 14-foot man, a 12-foot man. Imagine a 12-foot man standing in front of you. You should think about that. All right. Goliath had, Goliath had four sons. All right, stay with me. We got, we got just a few. We literally got like a few minutes left. I want to try to get through as much of this as possible. Goliath had four sons, all of whom were giants. Uh, look at 2 Samuel 21. Let's read verses 16 through 22. All right, verse 16. And Ish be Benob. Amen. That's another good name. It's a Bible name. And Ishbi Benab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succeeded him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then, then the, the men of David swear unto him, saying, thou shalt, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, uh, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And Sibekiah, the Hushanite, Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in, in Gob with the Philistines where... Elhanan, the son of Jerogim, uh, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was, was like a weaver's beam. What all that means is it was huge. His staff was massive. Uh, I mean, he's a big man and he's throwing a big staff, but they're constantly having these battles with the giants. And when you run all the cross-references about Goliath and his family, uh, he had four sons, one of whom it looks like was his, one of whom, no, one of, I'm trying to remember how, it, how to word it. Anyways, one of them was produced through an incestuous relationship, either with Goliath's mother or, or something along those lines. I, I don't recall exactly, but um, God wants this strange flesh destroyed wherever it shows up. If people will worship giant sports athletes to the extent they currently do so, how will they respond to a group of kings 
who are giants, men of renown. They do whatever they want. How, how, do you, how does your country think about its greatest sports athletes? They love them. They almost worship them. Would do whatever they want. What would they do if ten kings showed up who were giant and men of renown? They'd do whatever they want. They're going to bow down to them and, and give themselves over to them. And Jesus Christ himself will come back to, to put it down. They will follow after them with an intense loyalty. But Jesus Christ will return and smash their power. These are the ten kings we are looking for. This is, this is what's, what I believe is coming. It's, from cross-references, it's the only thing that makes sense. Outside of that, who is they that mingle themselves with the seed of men? Who would the they be? Why this distinction between the seed of men and they? And, and then the production of that is, are, are men who become kings, or the, the outworking of that. Um, look at Psalm 82. Psalm 82, verses 1 through, we'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 8. God, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. The gods. Everybody see that? How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all, and all, of, all of you are the children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So you, you have these, these gods... That God has to, that, that the Lord is going to put down in the earth. Um, look at Psalm 83, verses 1 through 18. Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the, that the, same, that the name of Israel may be more in, no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together. Now, this is very interesting. They have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Now, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Jabal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. So they are together, right? You see that? They're, they're, not, they're counted as one because they're, they're, they're fighting together. Um, Asher also joined with them that they have hoping the children of Lot Selah, do unto them as unto the Midianites and uh, Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook of Kisan, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zelmunah, who, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. O oh my God, make them like a wheel. As the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire, so persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they, that they may seek thy name. O Lord, let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High of the earth. Now... Let's look at this real quick. Back to verse 6. The tabernacle, uh, they are confederate against thee. In verse, verse 5, verse 6, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Jabal, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also joined with them, and they have hope in the children of Lot. How many groups of people is that? It's 10. 
Right now, this is interesting. I'm not. I can't definitively connect this with with these ten kings. It's it's just a suggestion. It's an idea. You take it for what it's worth. But in the end, it's going to be these ten kings that the Lord comes back and puts down, along with the Antichrist. Right. That's what we've seen in Daniel two so far. This passage is prophetic. It's it's listing. Ten nations who are confederate together to fight against Israel and to cut them off from being a nation. You know what's so interesting about that? Every one of those nations today is Islamic. And every one of them, to some extent, have a, have a statement in place regarding Israel that says, we will cut them off and drive them into the sea so that they are no longer a nation. It's just really interesting. Right? So that there are ten nations there. They're going to be confederate against Israel and try to come against them. And it just so happens there will be ten kings that the Lord comes back to put down in the end. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not definitively saying it will be these nations. It's just really interesting. And it's something to think about. These are end-time prophecies and should be taken into deep consideration. Psalm 82 takes us from the foundation of the earth until the second coming of Jesus when God inherits all nations, which we just read. Um, And we will pick back up next time with Matthew 24 and finish the rest of this. Well, let's go to Matthew 24. We'll finish that. We'll go to two passages real fast, and I'll get you out of here. Uh, And then we'll pick up somewhere else on a different topic next time. Matthew 24, then we'll be done with this. Verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noe were. That's interesting. What is this related to? What, what is the Lord describing right now? What's he about, what is he talking about concerning himself? His second coming. Yes. So he is describing what it's going to be like at his second coming, and he points us to Noah, Sodom, and the third one I, I didn't write up there, Lot. So he points us to, all th- to, to the same three issues. Uh, where, 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 where did I leave off? Verse 30, go back to verse 36. But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. What did it say was happening in Genesis 6? The sons of God were taking unto themselves the daughters of men. Right? The Lord says that's going to be happening again before his second coming. But uh, go back to verse 38. For as in the days, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and until until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Um, Revelation 12, and we'll stop there, and I will get you out of here. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 14. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Verse, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, 
And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. The devil's goal is to persecute and to destroy, to, to break and to bruise. When he is cast down, the Lord, when, when he has this battle in heaven and he gets kicked out and he loses, he doesn't say, okay, I quit. You know, I'll, I'll go find something else to do. No, he's like, well, these people can't stop me. All right, so Michael and his angels stopped me, but you people on earth can't stop me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> to open up my wrath on this earth. So not only do you have God pouring his wrath out on earth, now you've got an extremely angry Satan breaking, bruising, destroying, doing everything he can to try and drag everybody down. Um, one method of doing so throughout time has been to try and corrupt the seed of man. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.